Hi everyone, this is Robert. Welcome to The Well-Told Tale. Every week we bring you the finest science fiction and fantasy stories ever written. The Well-Told Tale is now available as a podcast on YouTube and via our Patreon page, where there are additional stories exclusively for patrons. Please do check out the link in the description if you're interested in that. Today we have no fewer than three classic stories. How the Camel Got His Hump, How the Whale Got His Throat, and How the Rhinoceros Got His Skin. These are the Just So stories by Rudyard Kipling. They are named the Just So stories because Kipling originally wrote them for his daughter as bedtime stories, and she wanted them told exactly the same way every time. Just so, as she would say. Originally published in 1902, there are 13 Just So stories in all, so if you want to hear more of them, let me know. But for now, it's time to pull up a chair, relax, and enjoy How the Camel Got His Hump and Other Just So Stories by Rudyard Kipling. How the Camel Got His Hump In the beginning of years, when the world was so new and all, and the animals were just beginning to work for man, there was a camel, and he lived in the middle of a howling desert because he did not want to work, and besides, he was a howler himself. So he ate sticks and thorns and tamarisks and milkweed and prickles, most scruciating idle, and when anybody spoke to him he said, Humph! Just, Humph! And no more. Presently, the horse came to him on Monday morning with a saddle on his back and a bit in his mouth and said, Camel, oh camel, come out and trot like the rest of us. Humph, said the camel, and the horse went away and told the man. Presently, the dog came to him with a stick in his mouth and said, Camel, oh camel, come and fetch and carry like the rest of us. Humph, said the camel, and the dog went away and told the man. Presently the ox came to him with the yoke on his neck and said, Camel, oh camel, come and plough like the rest of us. Humph, said the camel, and the ox went away and told the man. At the end of the day, the man called the horse and the dog and the ox together and said, Three, oh three, I'm very sorry for you with the world so new and all, but that hump thing in the desert can't work, or he would have been here by now, so I'm going to leave him alone, and you must work double time to make up for it. That made the three very angry with the world so new and all, and they held a palaver and an indaba and a punchayette and a powwow on the edge of the desert, and the camel came chewing on milkweed most scruciating idle, and laughed at them. Then he said, Humph! and went away again. Presently there came along the djinn in charge of all deserts, rolling in a cloud of dust. Djinns always travel that way because it is magic. And he stopped to palaver and powwow with the three. Djinn of all deserts, said the horse, is it right for anyone to be idle with the world so new and all? Certainly not, said the djinn. Well, said the horse. There's a thing in the middle of your howling desert, and he's a howler himself, with a long neck and long legs, and he hasn't done a stroke of work since Monday morning. He won't trot. Ooh, said the djinn, whistling. That's my camel for all the gold in Arabia. What does he say about it? He says 
Humph, said the dog, and he won't fetch and carry. Does he say anything else? Only humph, and he won't plough, said the ox. Very good, said the gin. I'll humph him, if you will kindly wait a moment. The gin rolled himself up in his dust cloak and took a bearing across the desert and found the camel most scruciatingly idle, looking at his own reflection in a pool of water. "'My long and bubbling friend,' said the gin, "'what's this I hear of your doing no work with the world so new and all?' "'Humph!' said the camel. The gin sat down with his chin in his hands and began to think a great magic while the camel looked at his own reflection in the pool of water. "'You've given the three extra work ever since Monday morning, all on account of your scruciating idleness,' said the gin, and he went on thinking magics with his chin in his hand. "'Humph!' said the camel. "'I shouldn't say that again if I were you,' said the gin. "'You might say it once too often.' Bubbles, I want you to work. And the camel said, Humph, again. But no sooner had he said it than he saw his back that he was so proud of, puffing up and puffing up into a great lolloping humph. Did you see that? said the djinn. That's your very own humph that you've brought upon your very own self by not working. Today is Thursday and you've done no work since Monday when the work began. Now you are going to work. How can I, said the camel, with this humph on my back? That's made a purpose, said the djinn. All because you missed those three days. You will be able to work now for three days without eating, because you can live on your humph. And don't ever say I never did anything for you. Come out of the desert and go to the three and behave. Humph yourself! And the camel humphed himself, humph and all, and went away to join the three. And from that day to this, the camel always wears a humph. We call it a hump now, not to hurt his feelings. But he has never yet caught up with the three days that he missed at the beginning of the world, and he has never yet learned how to behave. How the whale got his throat. In the sea, once upon a time, O oh my best beloved, there was a whale, and he ate fishes. He ate the starfish, and the garfish, and the crab, and the dab, and the place in the dace, and the skate in his mate, and the mackerel, and the pickereel, and the really truly twirly-whirly eel. All the fishes he could find in all the sea, he ate with his mouth, so. Till at last, there was only one small fish left in all all of the sea, and he was a small stoot fish, and he swam a little behind the whale's right ear so as to be out of harm's way. Then the whale stood up on his tail and said, I'm hungry, and the small stoot fish said in a small stoot voice, Noble and generous Cetacean, have you ever tasted man? No, said the whale. What's it like? Nice said the small stoot fish. Nice, but nubbly. Then fetch me some, said the whale, and he made the sea froth up with his tail. One at a time is enough, said the stoot fish. If you swim to latitude 50 north, longitude 40 west, 
that is magic, you will find sitting on a raft in the middle of the sea with nothing on but a pair of blue canvas breeches, a pair of suspenders, you must not forget the suspenders, best beloved, and a jackknife, one shipwrecked mariner, who, it is only fair to tell you, is a man of infinite resource and sagacity. So the whale swam and swam to latitude 50 north, longitude 40 west, as fast as he could swim, and on a raft in the middle of the sea, with nothing to wear except a pair of blue canvas breeches, a pair of suspenders, you must particularly remember the suspenders, best beloved, and a jackknife, he found one single solitary shipwrecked mariner trailing his toes in the water. He had his mummy's leave to paddle, or else he would never have done it, because he was a man of infinite resource and sagacity. Then the whale opened his mouth back and back and back, till it nearly touched his tail, and he swallowed the shipwrecked mariner, and the raft he was sitting on, and his blue canvas breeches, and the suspenders, which you must not forget, and the jackknife. He swallowed them all down into his warm, dark inside cupboards, and then he smacked his lips and turned round three times on his tail. But as soon as the mariner, who was a man of infinite resource and sagacity, found himself truly inside the whale's warm, dark inside cupboards, he stumped and he jumped and he thumped and he bumped, and he pranced and he danced and he banged and he clanged and he hit and he bit and he leaped and he creeped and he prowled and he howled and he hopped and he dropped, and he cried and he sighed, and he crawled and he bawled, and he stepped and he leapt, and he danced hornpipes where he shouldn't, and the whale felt most unhappy indeed. Have you forgotten the suspenders? So he said to the stute fish, This man is very nubbly, and besides, he is making me hiccough. What shall I do? Tell him to come out, said the stute fish. So the whale called down his own throat to the shipwrecked mariner. Come out and behave yourself. I've got the hiccoughs. Nay, nay, said the mariner. Not so, but far otherwise. Take me to my natal shore and white cliffs of Albion, and I'll think about it. And he began to dance more than ever. So the whale swam and swam, with both flippers and his tail, as hard as he could for the hiccoughs, and at last he saw the mariner's natal shore and the white cliffs of Albion, and he rushed halfway up the beach and opened his mouth wide and wide and wide and said, Change here for Winchester, Ashalot, Nashua, Keene, and stations on the Fitchburg Road. And just as he said, Fitch, the mariner walked out of his mouth. But while the whale had been swimming, the mariner, who was indeed a person of infinite resource and sagacity, had taken his jackknife and cut up the raft into little square grating, all running crisscross, and he had tied it firm with his suspenders. Now you know why you are not to forget the suspenders. And he dragged that grating good and tight into the whale's throat, and there it stuck. Then he recited the following sloka, which, as you have not heard it, I will now proceed to relate. By means of a grating, I have stopped your ating. For the mariner, he was also a Hibernian, and he stepped out onto the shingle and went home to his mother, who had given him leave to trail his toes in the water, and he married and lived happily ever afterward. So did the whale. But from that day on, the grating in his throat, which he could neither cough up nor swallow down, prevented him eating anything except very, very small fish. 
And that is the reason why whales nowadays never eat men or boys or little girls. The small, stute fish went and hid himself in the mud under the door sills of the equator. He was afraid that the whale might be angry with him. The sailor took the jackknife home. He was wearing the blue canvas breeches when he walked out on the shingle. The suspenders were left behind, you see, to tie the grating with. And that is the end of that tale. How the Rhinoceros Got His Skin Once upon a time, on an uninhabited island on the shores of the Red Sea, there lived a Parsi from whose hat the rays of the sun were reflected in more than oriental splendour. And the Parsi lived by the Red Sea with nothing but his hat and his knife, and a cooking stove of the kind that you must particularly never touch. And one day he took flour and water and currants and plums and sugar and things, and made himself one cake which was two feet across and three feet thick. It was indeed a superior comestible. That's magic. And he put it on a stove because he was allowed to cook on the stove. And he baked it and he baked it until it was all done brown and smelled most sentimental. But just as he was about to eat it, there came down to the beach from the altogether uninhabited interior one rhinoceros with a horn on his nose, two piggy eyes and few manners. In those days, Rhinoceros's skin fitted him quite tight. There were no wrinkles in it anywhere. He looked exactly like a Noah's Ark rhinoceros, but of course much bigger. All the same, he had no manners then, and he has no manners now, and he never will have any manners. He said, Oh! And the Parsi left that cake and climbed up to the top of a palm tree with nothing on but his hat, from which the rays of the sun were always reflecting in a more than oriental splendour. And the rhinoceros upset the oil stove with his nose, and the cake rolled on the sand. And he spiked that cake on the horn of his nose, and he ate it. And he went away waving his tail to the desolate and exclusively uninhabited interior, which abuts on the island. Then the Parsi came down from his palm tree and put the stove on its legs and recited the following sloka, which, as you have not heard, I will now proceed to relate. Them that takes cakes, which the Parsi man bakes, makes dreadful mistakes. And there was a great deal more in that than you would think. Because five weeks later there was a heat wave in the Red Sea, and everybody took off all the clothes they had. The Parsi took off his hat, but the rhinoceros took off his skin and carried it over his shoulder as he came down to the beach to bathe. In those days it buttoned underneath with three buttons and looked like a waterproof. He said nothing whatever about the Parsi's cake, because he had eaten it all, and he never had any manners, then, since, or henceforward. He waddled straight into the water and blew bubbles through his nose, leaving his skin on the beach. Presently the Parsi came up and found the skin, and he smiled, one smile that ran all round his face two times. Then he danced three times around the skin and rubbed his hands. Then he went to his camp and filled his hat with cake crumbs, for the Parsi never ate anything but cake and never swept out his camp. He took that skin, and he shook that skin, and he scrubbed that skin, and he rubbed that skin just as full with old, dry, stale, tickly cake crumbs and some burned currants as ever it possibly could hold. Then he climbed to the top of his palm tree and waited for the rhinoceros to come out of the water and put it on. And the rhinoceros did. He buttoned it up with the three buttons and it tickled like cake crumbs in bed. 
Then he wanted to scratch, but that made it worse. And then he lay down on the sands and rolled and rolled and rolled. And every time he rolled, the cake crumbs tickled him worse and worse and worse. Then he ran to the palm tree and rubbed and rubbed and rubbed himself against it. He rubbed so much and so hard that he rubbed his skin into a great fold over his shoulders and another fold underneath where the buttons used to be. But he rubbed the buttons off. And he rubbed more folds over his legs. And it spoiled his temper, but it didn't make the least difference to the cake crumbs. They were inside his skin and they tickled. So he went home very angry indeed and horribly scratchy. And from that day to this, every rhinoceros has great folds in his skin and a very bad temper, all on account of the cake crumbs inside. But the Parsi came down from his palm tree, wearing his hat, which the rays of the sun were reflected in more than oriental splendour, packed up his cooking stove and went away in the direction of Orateva in the marshes of Sunapat. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed these Just So stories. I'm now releasing many of the stories I narrate as self-contained audiobooks. Alice in Wonderland, The Call of Cthulhu and more are available at thewelltoldtale.net if you're interested in that. Or head over to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thewelltoldtale if you want more classic stories. There are links to both in the description. I'll be back next week with another classic story. I hope you can join me. <laughs>